The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Volume 4 The Medieval World. Episode 54 A Summary of Medieval Europe, Part 1. We begin our eventful story of medieval Europe from the year 600. Western continental Europe was dominated by the Franks, a Germanic peoples. The southeast of Europe was dominated by the Byzantines. The Byzantines had land interests on the Italian peninsula, but they were involved in a bitter feud with the Lombards, a Germanic nation attempting to establish themselves somewhere in Europe. The Byzantines also had interests on the Iberian Peninsula, a region dominated by the Germanic peoples called the Visigoths. Peoples with Celtic heritage were being pushed westwards on the British Isles by Germanic migrants in the form of Angles and Saxons. Scandinavia contained North Germanic peoples, who were somewhat related to the continental Germanic peoples, but were much more tribal in their politics, similar to the Balto-Finnic people of the modern lands of Finland, the Baltic peoples of northeast Europe, and the Slavic peoples of Eastern Europe. A westward expansion of Eurasian steppe nomads referred to by the name Avars were also reaching deep into the European continent, from the east. And this was the condition of Europe entering the 7th century. Despite the fall of Western Rome over a hundred years earlier, Europe was still a centre for learning and development. Various monastic movements and church clergymen would be the new polymaths and scholars of Europe. So not only were the Greek-speaking Byzantine lands continuing the tradition of learning and education that it was so well known for in the Classical Age, but now the Christian communities of Europe, such as the British Isles, the lands of the Franks and the Iberian Peninsula, were also involved in producing written scientific records. The easternmost lands of the Byzantines came under threat from the Persians and then the Islamised Arabs and this prompted the Byzantine emperor Heraclius to make fundamental reforms to enable his successors to avoid total conquest. Although the Byzantines under Heraclius lost a lot of their lands, Heraclius is still considered to be a good Byzantine emperor, mainly due to his political and military reforms. Islamic expansion against European lands was not just isolated to the Byzantine Empire in the southeast, but also across to the Iberian Peninsula in the southwest. At the start of the 8th century, Umayyads, from the lands of the modern country of Morocco, crossed the Strait of Gibraltar and advanced into Visigothic territory in the Iberian Peninsula. 
the Umayyads swiftly took control of most of the Iberian Peninsula, wiping the Visigothic Kingdom off of the map. In the north of the peninsula, remnant Christian forces managed to use the cover of the mountainous terrain to defend a small area of land and prevent the Umayyads from controlling the entire peninsula. These small Christian lands were called Asturias and would be the basis for the gradual Christian reconquest of the Iberian Peninsula throughout the Middle Ages and the basis for the emergence of the kingdoms of Spain and Portugal. The Umayyads pressed on northwards into the lands of the Franks where they would meet with the mayor of the palace, Charles Martel. Charles Martel was the effective ruler of the Franks despite the fact that there was a king but the king of the Franks was just a king in name only and took very little part in political affairs. The king of the Franks belonged to the Merovingian dynasty of Frankish rulers who can trace their origins back to King Clovis in the age of some very effective Merovingian rulers. While Charles Martel was leading the Franks, it had been almost a century since the lifetime of the last Merovingian ruler of the Franks to wield any meaningful royal power, Dagobert, who died in 639. Since then, the succession of do-nothing boy kings represented the monarchy, while noble families really controlled the power. This could lead to conflict between the territories of the Franks, such as at the Battle of Tertri in 687, when the Austrasians defeated the Neustrians and the Burgundians. The Austrasian commander on that day was Pepin of Erstal, the father of Charles Martel. The Umayyads clashed with the Franks at the Battle of Tours in 732, and this is where the European expansion of the Umayyads reached its limit when Charles Martel defeated the Umayyads on the battlefield. The Umayyads retreated back to the Iberian Peninsula to consolidate their gains and the Pyrenees Mountains became the natural boundary between French cultures and the Iberian cultures that still exist to this day. The Umayyad Caliphate's homelands were all the way over in the Middle East and in 750 Umayyads lost their homelands to the Abbasid Caliphate. So those Umayyads in the Iberian Peninsula had to fight to remain in control of their lands in the Iberian Peninsula and they were successful, existing now as an isolated Islamic emirate in their own right. The Byzantine influence over European lands was slowly eroding away during the course of the 7th century. A Turkic peoples called the Bulgars migrated westwards around the northern perimeter of the Black Sea before settling on the northern Balkan fringes of the Byzantine Empire. The new lands for the Bulgars would incorporate large populations of Slavs that had been displaced by the Pannonian Avars. These South Slavs had also been putting pressure on the Balkan borderlands of the Byzantine Empire during the 7th century also. The South Slavic population that came under the influence of the Bulgars 
represented the first Bulgarian nation-state. Those South Slavs living to the west of Bulgaria were the Branicevsi, Croats, Serbs and Slovenes. During the 8th century, the Byzantines began to lose their grip on northern Italy to the Lombards when the Lombards took control of the city of Ravenna. The papacy was able to establish influence over a territory independent from both the Lombards and the Byzantines, representing the beginnings of the political entity known as the Papal States. The formation of the Papal States represented a challenge to the Christian authority of the Byzantine Empire. The Byzantines considered themselves as the natural progression of the Roman Empire, but since they moved eastwards to Constantinople, the spiritual city of origin, Rome, had been lost. The Roman Empire regarded itself as the primary secular representation of the Christian Church, so it would be natural for the Byzantines to regard Constantinople as the secular home of Christianity. However, the papacy in Rome would have a different opinion, as the bishopric of Rome was founded by an apostle of Jesus called St Peter. With the papacy and the Byzantine Empire now at odds with each other, the Pope would look to the Franks for protection. As we know, the Franks were being ruled by mayors of the palace, not the true kings who were the ineffective monarchs kept in the background. The son of the now deceased Charles Martel was Pepin the Short, and Pepin would use the Pope's desire to befriend the Franks to ask the Pope to validate his claim to be the King of the Franks, based on the fact that he was the one who was really ruling the realm. The Pope Stephen II agreed, and so Pepin the Short was crowned as the first Carolingian ruler of the Franks. The Kingdom of the Franks went from strength to strength after this development. Pepin the Short was succeeded by his two sons, Carloman and Charles, but it would be Charles who would take control of all of the Frankish realms, and we more familiarly know this man as Charlemagne, a French version of Charles the Great. Charlemagne would show great imperial ambition, conquering the lands of the Lombards in northern Italy initially. An advance into the Iberian Peninsula didn't work out so well as the Basques, who lived on the borderlands between the Franks and the Umayyads, refused to be treated as unimportant by Charlemagne, and attacked the French army rearguard as it ventured back to the Frankish kingdom, in an episode called the Battle of Roncevaux Pass. This was just a blip in the overall expansion and dominance of the Franks under Charlemagne, who would extend the Frankish Empire to directly rule over the western half of Central Europe. His ability to subdue enemies of the Papal States led to the Pope Leo III declaring Charlemagne as the first Western Roman Emperor, a position later known as the Holy Roman Emperor. This happened in the year 800, and it was a bit of a surprise for everybody, including Charlemagne himself, who didn't need this accolade. Two centuries earlier, the Byzantine Empire could claim to be the largest nation-state in Europe, 
But now with the decline of the Byzantines and the escalation of the Franks, the Frankish Empire had become the largest, most populous nation state in Europe. Frankish tradition was that lands be split between the sons of a deceased king. When Louis the Pious, Charlemagne's son, died, the lands of the Frankish Empire were split between his three surviving sons in the year 843. The lands can be referred to as West Francia, Middle Francia and East Francia. Just two years later, the West Francian capital city of Paris was attacked by Viking raiders travelling up the Seine River. Vikings The Vikings were from Scandinavia and were expert boatmen and ruthless fighters. Their main aim was to venture away from the rugged lands of their origin and raid the coastal settlements and riverways of their European neighbours. The first major raid that put the rest of Northern Europe on notice was the destruction of the Northumbrian Monastery at Lindisfarne in 793. The monastery had been established in the 7th century by a monk called Aidan, who travelled from the island of Iona, now a part of Scotland. Aidan was a Christian monk, but his Christian traditions were from Ireland, as the Christian culture that the Romans had originally brought to the British Isles had been isolated from the other Christian traditions of Europe, and as such it developed into an isolated form of insular Celtic Christianity that differed from the evolved traditions now being observed in Rome. Due to these differences, a famous meeting was called at Whitby in Northumbria. This has since been called the Synod of Whitby, which took place in the year 664. Now, during the 9th century, the Vikings were successfully raiding lands away from their homelands in Scandinavia on a regular basis. The West Francians had paid off Viking raiders when they were attacking Paris in 845, but this only served to make the Vikings return for more again and again. The decline of the Carolingian rulers of West Francia accelerated the growth of feudalism, where the king would cede more power to the counts and dukes of his lands. The Vikings were not just targeting West Francia though. A Viking named Rurik, headed east into the deepest regions of the Baltic Sea, where he would traverse the waterways of northwest Russia. He would establish a centre of power at the city of Novgorod, where his branch of the Vikings, commonly referred to as the Varangians, extended their influence southwards to the city of Kiev, where they would establish the nation of the Kievan Rus. The Vikings showed particular aggression towards the British Isles, not just by raids, but also by landing with intent to settle. Great Britain was a patchwork of kingdoms at the time. Germanic kingdoms dominated the lower two-thirds of the island, while insular Celtic kingdoms dominated the far north, including a kingdom of the Scots under their first king, Kenneth MacAlpin. The Vikings successfully took control of the middle of the island and then turned their attention south 
to the Kingdom of Wessex under the rule of their King Alfred. Alfred fought back against the powerful Danish Vikings in Great Britain, pushing them back out of the south and earning a reputation for being the only Anglo-Saxon king to successfully resist the Viking raiders. The Danish Viking leader Guthrum agreed on a boundary between the two cultures with Alfred, who would be immortalised under the name Alfred the Great. The Vikings didn't see themselves as a united nation, but as separate tribes, with the label Viking being somewhat of an exonym. One of the biggest lasting legacies of the Vikings came back to their raids on Paris when the West Francian king, Charles the Simple, granted the Viking warrior Rollo the coastal lands at the mouth of the River Seine, the riverway to Paris. This was with the hope that Rollo would protect the riverway from other Viking raiders. The land that Rollo was granted would come to be known as Normandy. Christian Conversions One thing that Charles the Simple insisted upon while granting Rollo these lands was that he would convert to Christianity. The conversion of cultures to Christianity was important and particularly important to the papacy who was trying to rally up as many Europeans as possible to fight the papal cause. The reward would be the comfort of honouring and pleasing God as well as knowing that in the face of non-Roman Catholic nations, that a crusade could potentially be called to unite the Roman Catholics against their religious enemies. The religious enemies could be the Muslims of Al-Andalus in the Iberian Peninsula, or the pagan worshippers of Eastern Europe, and even eventually those Christians who looked at Constantinople as superior to Rome. If the Pope could convert as many nations as possible to his brand of Christianity, then the Pope would naturally become more powerful. The Christian nation of Asturias in the Iberian Peninsula tried to expand its influence over a peninsula now dominated by the Muslims of the Emirate of Cordoba. A spiritual feeling around the legend of the Apostle called James emerged in the Christian communities that served as a rallying cry for the Christians against the Muslims. In other words, the Reconquista, the reconquest of the Iberian Peninsula by the Christians against the Muslims. Saint James, translated into Spanish, is Santiago, and the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela became the site of a cathedral that would be the centre of the Christian church in the Iberian Peninsula. During the 10th century, the Emir of Cordoba, Abd al-Rahman III, wanted to distinguish his brand of Islam as distinct from those found in the North African Caliphate of the Fatimids and the Middle Eastern Caliphate of the Abbasids. So he declared that Cordoba was now a caliphate and that he was the caliph. Both the Christians and the Muslims in the Iberian Peninsula were making moves to give themselves a more powerful appearance to their subjects. This was also a period where Christian monasticism started becoming more attractive. The establishment of a Benedictine abbey at Cluny in West Francia represented the pinnacle of the power of monasticism. 
it would be declared that Cluny Abbey would not come under the jurisdiction of any bishopric or any nation. The Abbey declared that it was only accountable to the Pope, who was some distance away in any case. Cluny Abbey would become highly influential over other monasteries for the next 200 years and would serve to show hospitality to the poor. By the 10th century, Roman Catholicism dominated the lands of the Frankish realms which evolved to become West Francia and East Francia as well as much of the British Isles and the Italian peninsula. Denmark was converted in the 10th century when their king Harold Bluetooth converted but we are a little unsure about the veracity of the story that Harold Bluetooth converted due to a German missionary handling a red-hot iron and remaining unharmed demonstrating a holy power to the Danish kingdom. The first meaningful Duke of Poland, Mieszko, converted to Christianity at a very similar time. The Kievan Rus converted to Christianity later in the 10th century, but their conversion was linked to the eastern branch of Christianity, celebrated by the Byzantine Empire, rather than the Roman Catholic brand, which was deemed to be quite bland and unattractive by comparison. The reality was that Kiev would likely benefit from good diplomatic links with Constantinople, and their monarch, Grand Prince Vladimir the Great, realised this. There was a definite rivalry between Rome and Constantinople to ensure that their respective brands of Christianity were being followed by as many other nations as possible. The climax of this rivalry came in the year 1054 when the two sects of Christianity excommunicated each other in an event called the Great Schism. The Eastern Orthodox Church was now separated from the Roman Catholic Church. Central Europe. As we mentioned before, the Frankish King Charlemagne was not too enthusiastic about being declared the Emperor of the Romans in the year 800, but the role was more attractive during the 10th century when it was granted to the monarch who came to be known as Otto the Great, the King of East Francia. East Francia would come to be known as Germany and Germany was a patchwork of counties and duchies who were subject to Germany at lesser and greater degrees from one another. Popes would often grant kings of Germany the role of Emperor of the Romans, a position that is more commonly recognised to us as the Holy Roman Emperor. As such, the Kingdom of Germany and all of its satellite nations would be recognised as the Holy Roman Empire. It was Otto the Great's father, Henry the Fowler, who put a lot of the groundwork in to get the various counties and duchies of Germany following one monarch. One of Otto's greatest problems during his reign was the Magyars. The Magyar tribes were considerable for being almost fearless in the face of the highly developed military forces of the Frankish nations of West Francia and East Francia. The origin of the Magyars is a little bit hazy. They may have been related to some degree to the Turkic tribes of the Volga River area of modern Russia. Magyars appeared in Central Europe during the 9th century after migrating westwards and coming into conflict with the Bulgarians and being pushed further west into the Carpathian Basin. In the early 10th century the Magyars destroyed the nation of Moravia 
All of this would bring them on a collision course with the nation of East Francia. The Magyars established the Principality of Hungary to the east of Germany and Otto the Great felt that he needed to do something to prevent the Hungarians from taking more than their fair share against the more developed nations of Europe. Otto led a German coalition to victory against the Hungarians in 955 at the Battle of Lechfeld and this put an abrupt halt on the Hungarian raids of Western Europe. In the aftermath of this success, Otto was rewarded with the honour of being crowned the Holy Roman Emperor by the Pope. The Hungarians had to be content to settle their lands in the Carpathian Basin and created a settled nation-state. This would involve the Hungarian Grand Prince Geyser making peace with the Holy Roman Empire and accepting Christian missionaries in his country. Geyser's son, Stephen, would be allowed to claim himself to be the King of Hungary. The Kingdom of Germany would attempt an eastward expansion, but it would avoid Hungary and target an area further north, where they would encounter the Slavic tribes, who fiercely rebelled against German expansion into their lands. Early England England was formed in the aftermath of the success of King Alfred the Great of Wessex in defending the diminishing Anglo-Saxon lands of Great Britain. As the Anglo-Saxons fought back against the invading Danish Vikings who had established a territory called the Danelaw on Great Britain, they would unite like never before, as before the arrival of the Danish, the Anglo-Saxons existed as a number of separate kingdoms. Now they all had a common enemy, but all the kingdoms apart from Wessex had capitulated to the Danes, and now that Wessex was spearheading the Anglo-Saxon revival, the Wessexians were the flag bearers for all of the Anglo-Saxons. The success of the House of Wessex saw their monarchs take control of Anglo-Saxon politics, and therefore the United Kingdom of England was realised. Kings declared themselves as kings of the English people until King Edgar united the state into a recognisable nation-state called England in the middle of the 10th century. The age of the Vikings was now coming to an end after a number of fundamental changes to the nature of the Scandinavians. Previously the Vikings had been pagan seafarers looking to explore the seas, looking for lands where they could plunder resources from anyone they could even each other. As the final centuries of the first millennium drew to a close, Viking peoples were converting to Christianity and actually settling foreign lands such as those of modern Russia, France, the United Kingdom, Ireland and Iceland. Now the Vikings had dispersed and taken on independent identities of their own. Those who stayed in Scandinavia began to coalesce into Christian kingdoms while others began to create their own new nation-states such as the Danelaw in Great Britain and more notably the Normans of northern France, which was the evolution of West Francia. Some of the disparate Viking groups struggled to keep their grip, such as the North Vikings in Ireland, who were defeated at the Battle of Clontarf in 1014. A bizarre set of circumstances resulted in a descendant of the Vikings actually becoming the King of England. 
the English kingdom have managed to resist and reconquer the traditional Anglo-Saxon land since the Viking settlement of Great Britain. But now Danish rulers were not trying to establish lands, but instead trying to fight for the crown. A Viking invasion in the 1010s resulted in the ultimate establishment of a powerful Danish king called Canute, cementing a significant reign over the Kingdom of England. Canute could be described as an emperor, with him simultaneously holding the crowns of England, Denmark and Norway. He married the English Queen Emma, who herself was from Norman stock, and tried to rule England in much more the manner of an English king as one might expect from a descendant of the Vikings. Anglo-Saxons would still fight for the throne after Canute's death resulted in competition for the English throne between Danes and Anglo-Saxons until a fateful day in the year 1066 when a huge Norman army led by Duke William crossed the English Channel and defeated the Anglo-Saxon nobility at the Battle of Hastings, creating a new Norman ruling dynasty of England. The era of the Anglo-Saxons and the Danes in England was over. Duke William is known to history as William the Conqueror and he is also known for his composition of the Doomsday Book, an in-depth survey of all of the lands and holdings of his new Norman Kingdom of England. Normans would also travel to the lands of Italy where they would conquer the city of Bari under the Norman called Robert Giscard. Giscard had had the blessing of the Pope as the Pope wanted to see the removal of Byzantine influence over the southern lands of the Italian peninsula. This created the circumstances from which the Normans could also invade the island of Sicily and create an entity called the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, which included Sicily the island and Sicily of the southern Italian peninsula. Despite the Byzantines losing possessions in the lands of Italy, they had successfully annexed the Bulgarians earlier during the 11th century, so the Byzantine Empire was still in a healthy position despite its differences with the papacy and the Normans. The Turn of the Millennium Many of us remember the experience of the turn of the millennium when the year 1999 gave way to the year 2000. The concept of number years did not exist in the year number one, as it was an invention that took place centuries later based on the lifetime of Jesus Christ, and all previous years were numbered retrospectively. Many people of Europe were very aware of the fact that the year 1000 was taking place, and so the sense of the turning of the millennium was something that people alive at the time were experiencing. This was a period in history when the Capetian dynasty rose to power to be the ruling dynasty of France. The Carolingian rulers of France had been weak at preventing Viking raids on their territory previous to this time and the confidence in their rule had driven the nobles to look elsewhere for a strong rule so Hugh Capet was granted the right to rule France. Capet himself was a descendant of the Robertians who had opposed Carolingian rule during the 10th century. The rise of the Capetians signalled the end of the Carolingian ruling dynasty that had been glorious under Charlemagne 200 years earlier and some historians cite it as the beginnings of what we can recognise as the modern country of France. 
the influence of the Christian successor states to the Kingdom of Asturias in the Iberian Peninsula was growing. The powerful Caliphate of Cordoba was still unquestionably dominating the landmass, but now a swathe of land across the entirety of the north of the peninsula was now under the control of Christian kings, and so the emergence of recognisable states such as Leon, Castile and Navarre was definitely apparent now. One of the most significant moments in the centuries-long story of the Reconquista came when the Caliphate of Cordoba collapsed. The death of the highly capable military statesman of the Caliphate, Al-Manzur, created a succession crisis circumstance in the Caliphate from which there resulted in no recovery. Many challenges for power made unity impossible and in 1031 the Caliphate disintegrated into a number of Muslim taifas, each with their own ruler. The Holy Roman Emperor and the King of Germany, Otto the Great, was succeeded by his son and then his grandson as Otto II and Otto III. Otto III died with no heir. His second cousin, Henry, Duke of Bavaria, made a claim to the throne, fending off other contenders. The Bavarian dukes were descended from Henry the Fowler, as were the Ottonian kings. Henry would guide the Germans to military victory against the Poles and also against the Italian king, Arduin of Ivrea. When the Pope recognised Henry II of Germany as the new Holy Roman Emperor, Arduin was compelled to relinquish the crown of Italy to Henry, making him a very powerful Holy Roman Emperor. Henry would work hard to bring church and state closer together by allowing bishops to have more secular influence and as such altering the balance of power between the church and the monasteries. Although some have suggested that the turn of the year 1000 created a wave of panic in Europe, this doesn't appear to be accurate. Some believed that the end of the millennium would signal the coming of the Antichrist and the end of the world. But it's also suggested that this anxiety was particularly noted in England and France, where predictions were made that floods and famines would come and eclipses and comets would symbolise signals of imminent doom. Needless to say, the year 1000 came and went and life continued. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the History of the World podcast, the summary of medieval Europe, but the first part. Next week will be the second part, and um, that will be it, really. We should be able to squeeze it into two episodes, you'll be pleased to know. And then we can move on to special episodes that have been commissioned by members of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati. Now, the History of the World Illuminati are those exclusive people who make financial contributions towards the podcast. And you might be pleased to know that you can also make a financial contribution towards the podcast. Um, the most favourite, the, uh, the most favoured method is uh, Patreon. Now, if you want to know how to find the Patreon link, just go to the History of the World website. Click on Patreon and sign up to make a monthly contribution. You too can support the podcast. And we've got some new members to 
welcome into the History of the World podcast Illuminati this week, and they are Mevagissi Riddle, Jeff Stein, and Nico Share and Mouse. Welcome into the History of the World podcast Illuminati. You will qualify for rewards and uh, gifts through the post, opportunities to uh, commission your own special episodes. And uh, we've got eight special episodes coming up. Can you believe that? So that will be after next week. And next week will be part two of the look back on medieval Europe, the summary episode, which uh, will take us from pretty much 1000 up until sort of 1453, that kind of era. So we'll summarise all of that and then eight special episodes before we move on to medieval India. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Until next week, we'll see you again and be good. The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Please consider making a financial contribution by going to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website and clicking on the Patreon link. Email the show at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com And don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. See you next time.